The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Autoria, Source Elements, and RSPE Audio Solutions. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Julian Rogers, and in this week's edition, I'm joined by Russ Hughes, Christian Shoy of Soundflow, and Matt Hill of Liquid Sonics. We're going to be talking about how the size of a company whose products or services you buy affects your experience as a customer. I think we're talking practical things, and we're also kind of might be touching on the, the philosophical differences. I, I don't know, but uh, uh, on the guest we have uh, we have two people who are running very successful audio companies, and and we've also got Russ, who uh, is is the person behind. Behind, ultimately behind the blog, and uh, works with lots of these brands day to day. The jumping off point for this was uh, a piece that Russ wrote about this exact subject, about um, although large companies are very good at getting their message out there and they've got, they've got resources, sometimes you lose stuff. The bigger the company, there can be changes in, in, in quality in all, in all its forms. So uh, I think we should just go straight to Russ and say, Russ, um, uh, what inspired this conversation with you in the first place? Was there something that, uh, that made you uh, put pen to paper, as it were? Probably. Somebody probably annoyed me or whatever. But no, I, I, think, uh, I think what it... Actually, something had been bothering me for some time, and that was... The, uh, the the that lots of venture capital firms and finance firms these are the kind of people who put big money like millions and millions of dollars into different companies were starting to come into our space and listen I don't have any pro- I'm I'm a I'm a fully fully uh, fully signed up capitalist I fully understand how entrepreneurship works but what I was concerned about was when that happens, what it can sometimes lead to, and in some ways we're seeing it play out in certain brands, is a depersonalization between the brand and the user. And I think some VCs, that's that's, that's venture capitalists in short, so I'll keep using that term now, or, or, or big funding companies, uh, look at an industry and suddenly think, hey, that's the next cash cow. Let's head in there and let's start doing our thing. And of course, if they're putting shed loads of money in, then of course... Uh, they also want to have a, a view on how it's done. And so we're seeing things like uh, subscription services coming, software, it's called software, selling software as services, is coming into lots of companies now. Some are doing it well, uh, some are doing it badly in terms of implementing it. Uh, and then I, so it's made me feel, that made me feel uncomfortable. Uh, not because it's wrong, but because it, it, it's like anything. Married, there's good marriages and bad marriages. So what it's the, or good drivers and bad drivers. So I'm not saying funding from outside into companies is an inherently bad thing, but it can lead to uh, basically turning it turning a company into a sausage machine that's just there to generate cash. And in reality, we're a relatively small industry. To be honest, we we make more than we make less turnover per capita than fresh the fresh tomato industry. So that kind of puts this into context a bit. And these these people are often coming in to, to, to realise their their investment. And uh, there's a there's a Bible verse, and I'm, it's not not a religious moment, but there's but I think it's true whether you believe it, believe the Bible or not. Where Jesus said you can't serve two masters, and when you start having people pumping cash into a business, you've got them you, you're serving those people, and you're trying to serve your customers. And I think you're going to choose one or the other. You can't serve both. And so, and I think there's a lot, and, and actually take all that off the table. There's just something really beautiful about small companies, about the way they operate, about their connection to the customer and the user. Because often in a big company, you're sort of emailing some call center, even if, even if you're not emailing some service center, you can be emailing uh, somebody who has no immediate connection to you. Whereas if Christian or, or Matt uh, get a service email, it's probably them that answer it. And they'll probably know your name within two or three emails and they'll and they'll remember your name and they'll make sure that it's right. Because what they do is directly linked to whether they can pay the rent at the end of the month or not. That's not always the case in big companies. So I like the connectedness of small businesses. I think they're beautiful. And I, and I run a small business as well, but it's 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 helping these businesses. So but what I want to say from the outset, it's not big business is bad, small business is good. It's that there are Things in small business that we can really learn to appreciate. And I think in the current economic climate of the last decade, the way seeing the Amazons coming through and big supermarkets and and seeing this kind of sort of mega brands, uh, 
we have to protect small businesses because they're so unique and so special. And often we don't, and we keep pouring our cash into things like Amazon, and then we wonder where these small businesses went out of business. So I think that's where this all came from. Mm, interesting. So I mean, so s- small businesses, as well as being smaller, are just are just different. And yeah. if as companies grow, I mean, all all co- all companies, all brands start small. At least, yeah, I mean, well, of course they do. Nearly yeah. all of them do. Um, and I suppose it's it's about how can you maintain the good things about being a small brand as you grow, if you grow as well, because growth isn't necessarily desirable. You can run a perfectly successful business that's relatively small and stay small. Uh, we should we should bring in one of the, uh, Christian. Can I can I turn to you? And I mean, uh, yours is a great story with with Soundflow about how it started from an idea, a thing that was useful, and you found that it was useful more widely and kind of rather open-ended in its nature and it's and it's certainly grown but it still feels quite quite a small business in 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 the good sense that we're talking about um tell us something about that i mean your your experience do, do you do you see do you see your business as as a as a small brand in that in that good positive way still hey julian and russ thanks for having me here hey. um and, and for being invited to the conversation i think i think it's it was really interesting to you know to get your requests for this, and and um, and it it started, you know, some thought processes on my end to reflect on our journey so far, and I, I think it's a very welcome debate to, you know, try to bridge, I you know, I think the gap between how uh, you know customers in our industry uh, perceive uh, software and how the software development process works. Um, how it is like to try to build a business from it, um, we, you know, which can be difficult. Um, and yeah, no, I think it, it, I feel like we're slowly moving to a position where these uh, questions about how can we how can we keep the good stuff about being small, right? Mm. We're we're definitely in a growth phase right now, where a lot of our focus is on um, allowing more users to get access to Soundphone. Pro Tools Expert has been a major help in that, in in you know reaching a broader audience, and. As as you said, I'm I'm still the person answering most of the support. Uh, we have a uh, uh, an, a person in in LA who's helping, and and we're looking to to get a, a few more on the team. Um, and it's it's very important for me that when we grow the team, that uh, we we have people on board who can emphasize with the customer, who can understand and and is naturally helpful. You know. Um, somebody who can understand uh, the struggles that we have, but also understands the, the struggles of the customer. Um, you know, so whenever you do get a support request, it's not going to be like a robot-like answer. You know, so I think that's one of the things we, we try to keep from being a small brand. Um, but yeah, it, I, I also want to be honest that it's been a while since I could remember all of our customers, um, hmm. I, and I remember the change that happened where. I needed to stop uh, trying to have long one-on-one talks on Zoom with everybody <laughs> and try to look a bit more on the numbers in terms of, okay, so there's one person who's very vocal about this feature they want, but I got a lot more who want some, but something else prioritized. Um, so yeah, it's a, you know I, I want to say it's, it's been a really incredible journey. And uh, as you said, like I, I started this uh, I, I started coding Soundflow 11 years ago just to help myself. Uh, it, it, so I think a, a, an important point in, in this whole conversation is that small brands, I think, start from the founder or founders having a problem. Like there, there's something you want in yeah. your own working life as a sound editor or music producer. And you look through the market, like, does this thing exist already? And it doesn't, or it, it isn't quite what you like. And then you, you start thinking, can I make this? Um, should I make this? Do I have enough time to make this? And, you know, obviously don't have enough time to make it. If I've known 11 years ago how much time I would sink into SoundFlow, I would mm. have just never started. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, a, it, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think that's, that's part of why small brands have this... Um, incredible connection to the customer because it, we're, we're customers ourselves. Like we use the product ourselves 
it helps our own lives so we understand when it's not working or um, like we understand the frustrations that our customers would have because it would frustrate ourselves as well. Mm. That, thanks. For that. That's interesting stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it's interesting what you're saying about the growth phase that, uh, that Soundflow are in. I mean, I, I think we could say something very similar about Liquid Sonics, actually, Matt, because um, uh, certainly with the, um, you've expanded your stable a bit. And uh, I don't know, in, in, in my head, Liquid Sonics feels like a young company. But actually, you, you, it's been a, a case of steady growth for a long time. And thinking about it, you, you, you're not exactly new to this, but you've definitely still got this small company feel, this small company approach in all of my dealings with you. And, uh, and it's been, I, I don't know, um, is that part of the success? I, I mean, I'm imagining it probably is. What, what are your thoughts about the desirability of, of, of scaling up a business like yours? Well, I started in 2009, effectively, um, and it definitely was a slow process, largely because up until six years ago, I was doing it just as evening hobby work, really. I was definitely always interested in music tech. I was a dance music producer for a while, but I was tending to do it because I couldn't afford tools that I really wanted. Reverbs are really expensive. Mm. Good reverbs are really expensive. Um, and a lot of the, and back then, a lot of software reverbs weren't really doing what I really needed. So it was a mix of build what I can't get, build what I can't afford, mm. and also just sell it online because it's cool. Why not? Uh, some people were interested in a convolution reverb, so that kind of worked for a while. Um, so I don't know it, it hasn't really. Well, it, sorry, for, for quite a long time there wasn't really a deliberate attempt to grow it. It was just my hobby that I was also sharing with mm. people. So it was quite a personal thing for quite a long time. Um, obviously, it gets to the point where you kind of want to grow it and you kind of need to grow it because you get to this weird kind of middle phase where it's sort of too big to be doing it in your evenings, mm. but also it's not really quite big enough to be making proper money on it. So yeah, that that was the hard phase for me, really. And it's a phase you feel you, that, you're, that you're past now and you're into a into the next bit, oh, yeah. is that... Okay. I mean, when we're talking about growth, I mean, to grow, it takes resources. Now, if you're... I mean, we're talking to two uh, software brands, and software is kind of relatively unusual in the fact that, you know, the, the, the lack of a physical product. But still, it, it, it need, if you need to grow something, then that needs to be financed. Um there are a few approaches, and Russ, Russ started off with the point about you know bringing out bringing in external money. People don't just hand over money without wanting something in return, be it control or return or whatever it might be. Normally um, both. Uh, what What are your thoughts on how to finance that growth? And and uh, I mean, I suppose support's a big part of it. I don't want to kind of steer steer the conversation <laughs> too too directly, but uh, I mean, Matt, what do, what do you think about uh, actually? Financing growth and and how that dictates what you do and yeah what kind of influence that has over the process. Any thoughts? So it, it sort of depends what we're talking about with growth. So I'm still a single developer business. We don't have support staff and that kind of stuff. So for me, growth was being able to just do this full time, mm. and that obviously is hard to do in a in a big bank. So my my saving grace really was licensing deals. Because the kind of technology I make, there are some people that want to incorporate that into their te- in, 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 into their plugins, mm. into their technology. So um, when Stephen Slate got in touch because uh, they wanted to make Verb Suite, that for me was the sea change moment where I was able to quit my job, do it full time. It gave me enough of a buffer that if it all went wrong, I wasn't financially destitute for a couple of years. And that that was my growth phase really and mm. from that it gave me the time i needed to really develop the portfolio so the time is the resource in this case yeah rather than anything physical achoria has a wide selection of software effects including three compressors three filters three preamps and three delays you'll actually use the latest release three delays you'll actually use includes delay tape 201 delay memory brigade and the unique and experimental delay eternity a bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Visit Achoria.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. 
Oh, interesting. I mean, um, Christian, I mean, there must be a, a similar uh, a similar story with um, with what you've been doing. Certainly, I mean, you've you've done some some partnership type arrangements. Um, uh, growth. I mean, you're you're a, you're a little bigger. Uh, by the sounds of it, than uh, than than Liquid Sonics in terms of in terms of staffing, uh, and also your support. Because I remember having a conversation with you about you found um, uh, a a healthy and kind of a um, productive uh, forum to be very useful from a support point of view. That was something that uh, certainly you've you've mentioned to me. But uh, these these kind of pinch points, um, how does that work? Yeah. Um you know, it, it's actually really interesting for me to hear what, what Matt's telling, because I think a lot of the time we live in these small bubbles. And I, I mean, I was really curious to hear, you know, how do others do this? Uh, I think while there's probably similarities, I think there's like everything is unique to the person opening that brand or, or getting started because financial situations are different and the products are inherently quite different in terms of uh, the level of support we have to give to SoundFlow is really big uh, because what we're building is not a finished product. Like we, we give people tools to build, you know, their mm. own workflow automations. And inherent to that is they need a lot of help with that. Um, if we wanted to write the full manual for SoundFlow, it would be like a thousand pages long to cover everything you can do. Um, so we had to be creative or I had to be creative from the, from the start um, but the way I financed it was, it's it's a is a kind of crazy story. Um, I was also just doing this as a hobby back in 2016, and but I had created something that worked for myself as a sound editor, and you know I I kept trying to figure out is this something I should sell? Uh, could I even sell it at a price point um, that would make sense? Uh, you know, if this is how I. I, you know, I thought sound was something that made me quicker as a sound designer, uh, and I was get trying to get into the industry in Denmark. And uh, you know, if I sell something for, you know, I think eighty nine bucks was the first uh, list price we had. Uh, if I sell that to all my colleagues in Denmark, now I'm no longer the cheap or sorry the quick one. Uh, now everybody is quick, and I've earned five hundred bucks, and now mm. I'm I won't get any of the films. So. It felt like a losing proposition to even sell the, ad, it as a product to begin with. Um, and, oh, and so because I, I of the workflow advantage that it gave you as a working sound editor. I see exactly. what you mean. Okay, yeah. So I, I and I, I just felt like I'm just getting started with the sound design career. Why would I want to go full time on doing software? So it, it felt like, you know, but there's at the same time people were really curious about what I was doing. Um, so I asked a lot of people and, and tried to think about it for a long time while still working on it on the side. Um, and then there was this guy called Brian Dürby, uh, who's a, another sound editor from Denmark. And he just put it in so simple terms. I, you know, He said, well, in, in 10, 15 years, do you want to be like the ultimate shortcut wizard uh, who sits in your ivory tower and feel good about yourself and like your two best friends know you're really good? Or do you want to, you know, sell this across the world and build a global community of sound editors who help each other with workflows? And I was like, the second one. Mm. <laughs> it, uh, he, he just that it, it sounded so uh, appealing to me to to uh, not be alone with it, you know, to find to build a community. So, so the community was really thought in from the beginning for us. Um, but yeah, then I chose to start working on it. And at the time, I was going back and forth from LA uh, a lot. Uh, we were looking into if we wanted to build a career there. Uh, and so, yeah, essentially, I built Soundflow uh, while living on a couch in my sound studio for about four years mm. uh, until, and then I would finance it by, you know, making a film, spend all the money of that on, you know, having time to work on Soundflow on the side. And it was only, uh, at the start of the pandemic, really, that I had finally, you know, Soundflow had a bit of recurring revenue, not a lot, um, but I'd saved up some money from a film job. And that lasted me enough months to build Soundflow into, uh, you know, a thing that I could um, barely live off of, but it, it mm. sort of uh, made sense. That's so it. It, was a, it was a huge bet, essentially. Um, 
So it's it's yeah. a different version of, of a similar story to the one that, that Matt was telling about, about how you need to break through and move it into that phase because the thing that both of these of these businesses need is just time <laughs> with something yeah. that... There's, uh, yeah, there's an interesting thing to follow up on what um, was just said because I had a similar feeling with the licensing deal because like, if I sell my core, core IP to someone, well, all of a sudden, what am I going to compete on? Because they're massive and now my product's going to kind of not look as interesting next to the big um, Slate Digital Reverb that's coming out. And mm. what what am I doing here? I'm, I'm, I may be selling my, my, my big, great idea for a certain amount of money, and then what's next? Because they're going to dominate me, clearly. So because you it, can't it, compete with them. It takes a lot of confidence to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, that does bring us um, bring us around to. Uh, I mean, I, I have a, I have a question on my list of things of who does all the jobs, and you, you've kind of by implication answered that. Kind of, it's pretty much you do everything. I mean, uh, Christian, you, you're saying you've got someone helping you in LA. I'm I'm guessing that's for for time zone reasons because you don't want to be dealing with support at you know uh, on a European clock in on the West Coast. Could I? But there is marketing, I? and that's something that big brands certainly have have a lead on over, over small brands of just you know you as a as a customer are likely to gravitate towards the uh the product that you've heard of by definition if you haven't heard of a product then you're not going to you're not going to use it um it might be it might be a, a case where we can we can bring bring russ back in and so i mean russ you had some thoughts about um about marketing and and awareness and just getting the message out uh being uh, something that needs to happen um in tandem with a good product that uh, does all the things that it promises to deliver i mean thoughts on thoughts on marketing and and scale and yeah. Before, before I actually go there, I want to come back to the how do you finance growth because what the stories, both stories tell, and the story of the blog is the same, is you get to a, you get to a tipping point. And I think a lot of our listeners who are small studios or have gone freelance in post or freelance in music mixing will, will have got to that tipping point. And what I mean by the tipping point is often we're doing a real job, quote unquote, or a regular job while trying to run a business or get a business off the ground. So we're basically got a foot in both camps for, for, for a bit of time. I think Matt's story was that, uh, possibly Christian's as well, it sounds like from what he was saying, is that you, there's a tipping point that happens where you almost run out of time in the week or you've got enough money and you think, now I can go. Now this we can launch. We can go. We can, we can try this. Because the time I'm spending on the other business is is taking up more hours. I remember when I started the blog, I was doing a, f- a thirty hour, thirty five hour a week job, regular job, and forty hours a week on the blog as well, for four wow. years, and we didn't make a penny of revenue for the first four years of the blog, and it was a labour of love. Similar to me, I was working till two in the morning on Liquisonic. So I'd, I'd do my nine to five or sort of nine to six, come home, eat for an hour. Start by seven, and I was working till two every day for five plus years. It was. And I bet Christian's story is similar. Yeah, I bet we, we've all got the same story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 it's it's interesting because it's it, it speaks to motivation as well because all three of us are talking about something. I, the blog started because I saw a need and nobody else was putting their hand up to help. So so I just started the blog, not knowing where it was going to go. I'd never dreaming of the size it would get to. It wasn't started to make money. It was started to help people. And making money is a byproduct of that. And I think I think Christian's probably the same with his. And Matt with his is Matt makes me laugh always also because he's always understating how he started his company because he couldn't afford a lexicon, so he wrote one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, and, and, and now it's one of the best around. And, and so, but, but, I love, but, but we, we all saw a problem and came with an, and tried to answer that problem in our best possible way. And sometimes people say, well, who gave you the, who gave you the right to be the best, uh, to do this? You think, well, nobody else was doing it. So I just thought I'd volunteer. End of. That's, that's the usual answer. But coming back to then marketing and stuff, the reality is, is that we just all do it ourselves, don't we? Uh, until I was, um, so I work with Matt now and help him with his marketing and lots of small brands like Matt's because for a long time they're doing it on their own and their support and all the other stuff. And I'm guessing, yeah. And and this is part of the thing that gives me trouble sometimes is some brilliant, brilliant brand brands out there. There's Blue Cat and I could sit here all day and name all these small brands who don't have the marketing firepower of the big brands but are making equally, if not better, products. But they get they get overlooked because they just don't. They're not in. They're not in your Facebook feed all day, or they're not in your Instagram feed, or you're not getting the emails. And so, 
some sometimes we end up buying inferior products just because the marketing was better. And that's a fact. And we miss out on fantastic products because the marketing, either they didn't have the skill to do the marketing or they didn't have the money to, to make it happen. Or both. I think money with marketing is a, is, a, is a big issue because you can't really get involved at all until you're at a certain level of income. Yeah, because part of it is, is every time you spend money, it's your rent going out the door or, or your, food, your, your fuel bills and all those things. It's real money. It's either, yeah. do I pay my mortgage this month or do I spend a thousand quid on marketing? Yeah, and it's a big jungle like to figure out I mean, there's going to be plenty of agencies that want to take your marketing money and they'll say, you know, we, we tried that out one time and it was a disaster. You know, that you, you try to believe their sales pitch and they'll say, yeah, we'll grow your brand by this and that. And, you know, then it turns out they, you know, we, we had one company do this and they wanted to create an ad for us. And, and the person making that ad used impact, the impact font, which I think it's called, or it, it's like, it was very popular in like 1996. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a struggle. Uh, you know, it's such a specific industry we're in. So fi like even finding the right people to help you with marketing can be difficult. Um, I feel like we've locked out now. We've, we've started collaboration um, and, you know, we're trying to solve it through partnerships. Um, yeah. Uh, as you, as you all know, like we, we've got the partnership with Avid. Uh, and that's that's really like a, a co-marketing um, uh, way to try to get the word out and, and have the rubber stamp of a bigger company. Um, and so we didn't quite do uh, what Matt did with, with Slate. Um, it's, it's a different type. But yeah, like, uh, you know, you only have, because, you know, most of the time it's one person doing everything, you can't be good at everything. It's just, and marketing is possible. just one of those things I, I'm really bad at doing. Well, the thing is that most people are who get into this are accidental business people. So they yeah. made something out of love, but they never trained in finance. They never trained in business strategy. They never trained in marketing. They got into this because they saw a problem and thought necessity is the mother of invention. I'll invent the thing to fix this. And then suddenly they're in this world where you've got brands out there. For example, some of the bigger brands, just to give you scale on this, some of the biggest plug-in for brands are spending about a million dollars a year on on selling their plugins to you, just on marketing, just the marketing budgets. That's in, that just that's just just uh, for a small business. That's just a number that just doesn't compute. They don't even turn yeah. it that number over. I don't want so, to spend that much money. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there, Matt. So coming back to Christian's point is that when we started Sociotech and we started about three years after starting the blog, and that's when I handed the editorial of the blog so that Julian and the team are sort of doing the editorial side of the blog is I started Sociotech because uh, I wanted to build an agency that that knew about marketing and knew about messaging, knew about the products, knew about the people working in the industry. Because most agencies, you go to a general agency is selling cars on a Tuesday, sofas on a Wednesday, cheese on a Thursday, and then they'll come to you and say they can sell your product. This is a very specialized industry and you need specialized people selling your products for you. And that's why we started our agency. And, uh, and we never yeah, so my, yeah, my story there sense. was 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 I was I was having um, a drink with um, uh, Andrew Kirk from Pace, and I just said to him, well, he he asked me what 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 what's what's your biggest business challenge, and I just said, well, people tend to be sort of enjoying my reverbs, but that's the the, so the main problem I've got is they've never heard of them. So as soon as they have tried it, they're often liking it, and I just need a way to connect with people. And I didn't know how to do it myself because um, you can you can send emails out, you can you can do all, you know, all, all these things with banners, but it's so untargeted and very difficult to actually know how to spend that money. It, it's just sort of shooting in the dark. So he put me in touch with Russ, who you know, just so happened to be um, in the middle of the sale of Exponential Audio to Isotope. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Isotope and. Um, had a sort of gap in his client list, which was perfect because he was great at selling reverbs and had a reverb-shaped hole in his client list, and I just fit right <laughs> in. The timing was incredible. And it was incredible because we'd sold Exponential, I think, a week before, so I had no commitment to Michael anymore because you can't take two – if you're an agency, I can't be selling two reverb brands. It's insane. It's like you, you, you've got them competing against each other. Uh, so uh, when Matt came along, 
uh, it was just a perfect moment. And, uh, and the rest, as they say, is history in a way. So, I mean, we were talking about uh, products, um, product awareness, and something that's uh, an interesting area maybe is um, uh, criticism. If you put something out there, inevitably you'll have feedback, and some of it will be positive, but some of it will be negative. And uh, what's that like as, as people who've kind of, you know, put your, put your product, put your baby out into the world, and uh, it's as good as, as, you can, as you can make it, and, um, uh, and you're getting... Um, unjustified criticism, particularly, I'm thinking of because uh, because I mean I, I certainly know from uh, feedback that we get from what we do on the blog that uh, there are two kinds of negative feedback. <laughs> there's, there's stuff that someone making a point that's fair enough and you need to pay attention to and learn from, and other stuff that isn't correct or isn't fair or whatever. Um, how do you how do you respond to and deal with that kind of uh, feedback? Um, I, I should ask. You have to keep it, it in context, don't you? Because you'll get a lot of positive feedback, but the human nature is to focus on the negative. Mm. But if you can sort of, you know, zoom out at the end of the week, how many negative feedbacks did I have versus how many positive feedbacks did I have? Keep your eye on the forums and that sort of thing. And I think... It's hard to do it, but often a lot of the a lot of the criticisms are really just people trying to help you improve your product, and you've just got to take it. Maybe step back for a few days. Does this person have a point, or are they just being mean? Mm. Um, <laughs> and then react appropriately. That's that's the most sensible thing yeah. anyone said said to me all day. So excellent, um, Christian. I mean, anything to add to that? I mean, you're. Uh, you're facing a slightly different challenge just because um, uh, you, I, I don't think I've ever needed to, uh, to, um, to do any research before using one of Matt's reverbs. But Soundflow isn't quite yeah. like that. It's a different kind of product. Um, uh, I've already mentioned the, the forum. I mean, uh, how, do you, how do you deal with, deal with um, feedback, uh, both positive, negative, fair and unfair? Yeah, no, I, I think Matt put it, put it very eloquently, actually, like as an overview. I think it's, you know, you have to try to look at it from different perspectives. And I think the first perspective that you, um, you know, see the feedback with is your own personal experience. Like, you know, uh, it, it can be quite uh, stressful if when you open your email, uh, you have to, you know, brace yourself like maybe somebody's <laughs> going to be really mean to me yeah. so i think my first reaction is always quite like it feels awful it can you know it can be quite devastating and i think i'm a person who naturally worries a lot and and i'm a perfectionist i really want to make things uh, the the best they possibly can be and i still work until 2 a.m most days um a lot of our clients are in la you know so if somebody uh, you know is complaining on a friday night while i'm sleeping uh, and they're uh, annoyed that I can't, that nobody's answering within 20 minutes. It's, it's, you know, it can, I think that the kind of feedback that hurts you is the one where you're, it's out of your control, but somehow it's a valid feedback that they're getting. So, you know, the next, the next side of it is I'm a customer myself for, you know, um, other products. And I know the feeling when something's not working or you can't get in touch with people or the response you get from customer support is not, you know, great. Uh, mm. There's a ton of different things you can make as a, as a mistake. Um, and so when I try to marry those two perspectives, I think I get to what Matt was saying, which is, you know, then you, you got to listen because a lot of the time it's people who, are, who actually want to help you make the product better. If they're really upset, it's probably because they see uh, the, poten the potential of the product. Um, it's not because they just hate it. They just hate the experience they're having with the product for whatever reason. Mm. And if you can listen through the noise or the, the angry words, and, and then sometimes that will be the best advice you can get because it, they actually took the time to communicate it to you. Mm. So then I become grateful but it's quite the journey, and I, I've had countless sleepless nights, and I mean that very literally, like a whole night where I couldn't sleep because somebody had been mean somewhere, you know. So I think it's hard. You put everything in your life into making this great, and then uh, you want people to like it. Um, but yeah, as Matt says as well, it you know, ninety nine percent are really happy and positive. Mm. So I think for what we try to do with our forum, which I think we've succeeded in uh, quite well this far is to really 
focus the discussions on the work, like the workflows, let people help each other in a positive tone. And then we'll try like the, the less than 1% of input that comes that is very negative. Maybe we'll, we'll find ways to address that elsewhere. So we can just ensure that the conversations, uh, like that everybody feels safe in our forums. You know, if, if it ends up being that 80% of the posts are about the licensing or something, you know, I, I, there's plenty of forums online for that kind of stuff. Um, but we want to also create a safe space for everybody collaborating with us. It's not just about uh, ourselves. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I think it's a constant thing that we have to adapt to and listen to. You can't just put on a, um, like a fence or, you know, shield yourself from it. You have to actually listen to the feedback. Mm. Uh, so we always try to react, um, as constructively as we can. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, but I, you know, I think it's whenever our communication is not great, then we get more negative feedback. Mm. So I always try to say like, if somebody has a, a different set of expectations of what should the product be, then how did they get those different expectations? Um, did they come in through our website in a different way Did they read or did they watch some YouTube video that made something seem easier than it actually is? Or, you know, so we, we try to learn from it in, in so many different ways. And now that I have a, a team member in LA, uh, who, by the way, is not there for the time zone. He's, he's there because he's a wonderful human being who's very, very natural at helping others. Um, <laughs> and so we help each other, right? Yeah. It, it, if it's really hard to deal with a, an issue, um, you know, we'll talk internally and be like, how yeah. can we approach this? How can we make this person happy? Yes, I, 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 I duly chastised. I'm sure I, I wasn't commenting on, on how good he was. But uh, I'm sure the time zone, I'm sure the time zone's an added bonus. Exactly, yeah. The Production Expert Podcast is made possible using Source Connect Now from Source Elements, the free way to record high-quality audio over the internet. Need to record an interview or a podcast like this one remotely? With Source Connect Now, you can Using a Chrome browser, you'll get ISDN equivalent quality audio without the need to install any additional software. Register for your free account at now.source-elements.com. I'm going to do something rare, actually, on the podcast, which is I'm going to disagree with people. Uh, all if right. that's okay. Uh, not all criticism is valid. Not all criticism is equal. Uh, some people are just rude, obnoxious, and just have no interest in having a dialogue with you. They just want to throw rocks at you. Uh, and quite interestingly, sometimes the way Matt deals with criticism, because he's one of my clients, is he calls me and we talk it through. And it's really yeah. important to have somebody on your side. That's not your mom who, who tells you everybody's horrible and don't listen to them. You don't want that. But what you do want is a touchstone. And Julian, we do it as well when we get critics on the blog sometimes, mm. is that some people just want to tear you down or tear your brand down for various millions of reasons. Uh, can be to be jealousy and all sorts of things. So not every critic is going to add something of value to my business. 99% of them are. But there's a 1% out there who are just miserable, angry, <laughs> and they're angry about everything and everybody. And you just happen to be the person in their trajectory that You're day. You're getting it today, yeah, yeah. You're getting it today. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're angry and they're just looking for a hook to hang it on each day. And you happen to be, uh, because, I don't know, Christian's doing licensing and they don't believe in licensing because it's a religious belief they have that subscriptions are bad and anybody that does them is, is, is the devil and all those kind of <laughs> silly thoughts. So I, I think... And, and Julian will know this, the expert team, I tell them to not read comments. So if I write an article, I won't read the comments immediately. And I try and slow the pace of anger down because I yeah. sometimes will go and read comments a week later on stuff I've written. I certainly don't read comments after hours. I certainly don't read them at the weekend. I certainly <clears> don't <throat> read them before I'm about to go to sleep. Uh, and somebody quite helpfully, quote unquote, on Saturday morning, sent me a screen grab. I just talked to Matt about this earlier this morning. A screen grab of somebody who was a critic of the blog and a critic of me, called me an emperor, said I was building an empire. And uh, I can't remember what else they said. It was just a lot of ranting, to be honest. And I said to the guy afterwards, I said, I appreciate why you did it. Can you just not send me that stuff? I don't need to see it. I don't care about mm. it. Uh, I've got, so I think, and what's really important is these products are your babies. They're like children to you. And so when people come with really nasty stuff, it cuts right deep into you and, it, and you bleed. 
And so I think you do also need to protect yourselves at times. And Matt will know. There's quite a joke with Matt. If Matt calls me about certain people, he knows what response he'll get from me, which I can't repeat on the blog, uh, hmm. on this podcast. But uh, yeah, I think there's 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 a, there's a middle ground somewhere that, that there are that lots of criticism is valid and you can learn from it, but some of it is invalid. It has no value for your business. And those people have no interest in trying to help you get better. Mm. Yeah, no, my, I think my, my best that's example true. was when someone just told me to drop dead. <laughs> they were that unhappy with me. Constructive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> I, and I read that over dinner. It was foolish. I really shouldn't have pulled my phone out when Nikki went to, yeah. the, to, the, to the ladies. Yeah. Oh, you're actually and in a restaurant. This like, oh, that's really improved my evening. Thanks, mate. <laughs> my, my favourite example of this, I won't, I, I won't um, go into who it was, but uh, a, a member of the blog team um, uh, just happened to look at a comment on a post that the, that had gone up on the site that day, um, just as they're about to get on a plane to go on holiday. And there was a really, <laughs> there, was, um, there was, yeah, just a really unhelpful comment that they, that they read. And then, uh, and then they had to sit on a plane for, you know, two plus hours or something. And the last thing they looked at before they switched their phone off was this person um, uh, tearing a strip off them about something. And it's like, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe just don't look at, the <laughs> at that time. Yeah, I, be, I, had um, de- I had a death threat from a guy on the blog. Wow. Yeah, when I when I wrote a I wrote an article about pirating software and said it was bad, and he said to me, "Oh, I just give all of my stuff away because it's 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 art and it's creative, and uh, and I just want the world to share it, and we shouldn't all be like capitalists like that." I said, "Well, leave your front door open then, and I'll come and take all the stuff that you've got in your house too." And he said, "If you ever come in my house, I'll kill you dead." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um. So. Um. I. Time is marching on. So I think we should uh, probably head towards some kind of uh, closing question. And uh, I think the best one uh, would probably be to ask uh, each of you: What's the hardest part of of doing what you do of of, of running your small brand? Um. Uh, we should probably do this in uh, I don't know a particular order. I should go to Christian actually. Christian, what would you say? What's the hardest thing about what you do? Well, I'll just pick up right from uh, from where uh, Russ left off with uh, the stuff about turning off your your cell phone, your device, your email. We have a support system. <clears throat> we have monitoring software to check our cloud services are running as they should. Um, I, it's, it's taken me two stress breakdowns and five plus years to figure out that I need to get myself some, uh, some off time. Um, hmm. You know, and I still struggle with it. I think I'll I'll keep struggling with it. And in part, it's because of the nature of our product that it's it's something that, uh, you know, people connect to online. So it always needs to work. And if something's not working, then um, I can't just wait until Monday morning to look at it. Uh, so, so inherent in our business design, I've made it more difficult for myself. Um, so so yeah, ironically, you, by designing a product that saves loads of people all over, all over the world, loads and loads of time, um, you're takes uh, away headaches. all of your time uh, by doing that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're, you're the loser. And I, <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's actually the primary reason why I want to grow Soundflow is to make it less dependent on me as a person, um, both to help myself, but also to help the product and everybody who relies on it. Uh, because if I, you know, get sick or something, then it's going to be a worse experience. Now we do have one person who can pick up the slack for a lot of mm. the tasks. Um, but yeah, the, I really want to, you know, the reason for the growth, in my opinion, or, or in my perspective, is is to make it uh, less, you know, dependent on me, and so I can actually have a weekend. Um, I look forward to having that. Um, mm, I've heard of these weekends. Definitely did have a weekend yeah, yeah. <laughs> this past weekend. So, so yeah, it's. Uh, it re- I, yeah, you know, it remind- I tried to take some summer vacation, but I answered support emails every single day because I have to. Mm. Um, so, it so, yeah, sounds like somebody else that's the hardest part for me. Uh, it just reminded me of a fantastic uh, piece of wisdom I was given years ago. I can't remember who even told it me. He said, "You'll never grow a business as long as it all keeps coming back to the center." Yeah. What a genius line that is. Mm. And actually, the great thing about the blog now is it can happen without me. And the and yeah. Sociotech's going that way ways as well, is that well, I'm surrounding myself with people who are so good at their job, they do, whenever I ask them to do something, they do it better than I'd expect, which is wonderful. Uh, and you have to, there's those moments when you do have to take a step and say, okay, I need to hire somebody now. Because if I mm-hmm. don't, 
it's going to kill me. Uh, that's the truth of it. I think Matt would say the same. Yeah, Matt, what's, what would you say is the hardest part of what you do? I think it's having something in my life that I like so much that I pass on a lot of opportunities that I probably shouldn't. There's a lot of, you know, I can look back on social events that oh, I've just really, really want to do this new feature. It's so interesting and I've not gone to it. And then six months later, you look back and think, was that really the right decision? But it's too late at that point. And I've been doing that for years. <laughs> so it's, it, it's, it's kind of... It's kind of weird to look at other people that don't love their job so much and think there is a benefit to that. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, mm -hmm. I, I I I think the same thing frequently about uh, about people who who can leave work at work, and um, yeah, I don't know that many people who can do that these days because uh, so many people are uh, in a, in a similar position to, uh, to 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 what you are, mate. Um, so okay, uh, Russ. What would you say uh, is the hardest part of, 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 of doing what you do, supporting those brands? It's probably the same as everybody else, is that because it's your baby, because it's something that was born out of passion and desire and all those things, and you genuinely are trying to help people, that to switch off is incredibly hard. And, to, and talking about the criticism thing is to not take it personally. Mm. And yet... Fair Those enough. are the two things that are going to damage you most if you don't deal with them. Great. Well, I think it's time to go to Find of the Week. Um, thank you, all of you, for that uh, uh, examination of uh, what it is that's good about brands staying small. So, uh, Find of the Week. RSPE Audio Solutions design, sell, and install professional audio and video equipment. Their team are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do to help, reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Okay, so Christian, what's your find of the week? So uh, to be perfectly honest, I found it the week before. Uh, when I was, uh, I, I was think in we Italy. Can let that I was go. trying to get some vacation, um, and I picked up this book on the way uh, in the airport, which is a, a bestseller called uh, "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep" by Mike Manson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that'll help. And you. <laughs> it's been incredibly helpful for me. Like you know, as I just talked about, like I spend a lot of time worrying about things, uh, making, trying to make sure everything is perfect. And we've all like, you know, learned this stuff about, you know, you should just think positively if, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade and all this stuff. And uh, this is like the anti self-help book uh, that tries to teach you, well, sometimes you should not give a bleep. Um, and so that's been very helpful for me. And I, 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 I'm recommending it to everybody that I love. So Awesome. I've, I've just found it on, uh, on, on Amazon. It looks very interesting. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. So, um, sure. Matt, what about you? What's your find of the week? Also not of the week. It's a couple of, couple of weeks ago, I bumped into the new um, Quantec emulation. And oh, I saw that. Me, I, I can't <laughs> find a Quantec anywhere. Because <laughs> I, want, I want the surround version, obviously. And they're mm. almost impossible to get hold of. And I've not been buying Quantecs for years. Very, very quickly, explain what a Quantec version. is to people who don't know. It's uh, it's one of these older older reverbs that um, sort of... Is it 80s? I can't quite remember. But... It's it's a, it's a it's a really old one, um, and it was it was done as a like a room simulator. It was com completely different to the Lexicons mm. and the EMTs of the day, which were um, a lot more artistic in a sense. They were more of an interpretation of a room, and the contact was always meant to be a room. There's no early reflections. It builds as part of the room itself rather than it being sort of a multi-component thing. So yeah. it was always a very interesting unit. Um, for years and years, I wasn't interested in them. And then I sort of have some friends that, oh, I should really spend more time with these contacts. And, I'm, and uh, it's just too late now. <laughs> I don't know if they're making them anymore or not. But I've found your second-hand one if you've easily. got £3,000. Uh, really rare on the um, uh, like eBay and stuff. So there's this Savant Audio Labs Quantum uh, plugin, which is really cheap. And um, it's it's great because it's, it's, it's um, just a reverb in the box. And you know, I, I can't actually say how accurate it is because I don't have a contact. But uh, it's getting some fairly good feedback and I've, I've been quite enjoying it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Russ, what about yours? Uh, mine is Song Facts. Song Facts is a rabbit hole 
that you'll end up going down. I shouldn't tell people because we'll lose them for weeks. It's basically got all the backstories on virtually every song that's ever been recorded. Who recorded it, what, what, what the gear they used. I use it as research when I'm writing articles. I had to write an article recently on drum machines for the blog at the weekend. And it's really useful uh, for getting backstories to like, like how the drums were done or... Uh, what happened in the studio. There's kind of bits of gossip as well as bits of kind of gear facts and stuff like that. It's a really useful site, songfacts.com. And it's just, it's, 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 uh, there's, I've not, I've yet to, yet to find that they haven't got the song I'm looking for on there for, for the entirety of the history of recorded music. So fantastic. as I say, you can just spend hours on there. <laughs> yeah, there goes my afternoon. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there goes your afternoon. Um, yeah. Great. Well, m- mine is uh, is not audio at all. It's the most delightfully silly, but actually rather touching thing that I've seen on Netflix in a long time. Um, there's a like mini series called We Are The Champions, which is about people doing kind of pointless things uh, all over the world. I wasn't interested in really any of them apart from... The, Episode one, which is about uh, the annual cheese rolling event that uh, uh, that happens in the UK, where people go to a very steep hill in Gloucestershire called Cooper's Hill and roll a double Gloucester down um, this really, really steep hill. It's like it's steeper than forty-five degrees, and run or try to run uh, and uh, race the cheese. And uh, it's anarchic, it's chaotic, it's very community, it's very, very English actually, um, and people get terribly injured every year so much so that it's been banned but it still goes on and uh, yeah it's uh, people being very silly with their own physical well-being but in a really kind of cool way actually so yeah um if you if if you want to understand what a kind of like um a community sort of like folk event is uh, in the uk watch this and i think you'll get it Excellent. So uh, that is uh, that is our examination of uh, small businesses and what's good about uh, being a small brand as opposed to uh, being a large one. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to my guests, uh, Russ, Matt and Christian. Uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Production Expert podcast. Mm-hmm.